Good morning, fellowship. Good morning, Curtis. Dan camouflaged this music stand over here, but I found it. It's all good, because Curtis likes to put his Bible over here. That's okay, isn't it? Yeah, so I'm Curtis. I'm one of the elders here at FBC, and I am richly blessed to bring the Word of God to you this morning on New Year's Eve. It's New Year's Eve. Who has a New Year's resolution? Who has one? Who wants to lose weight this year? <laughs> All right, I turned 60 this year. I'd like to be in shape when I turn 60, right? Lose a few pounds. But a quick Google search shows that uh, the New Year's resolutions never change. You want to lose weight, you maybe want to eat better, maybe read more, maybe quit drinking, quit smoking. You know, all these things are out there, but they're always the same. And they last such a short time, don't they? Other than mine's going to June, right? That's my birthday, June 19th. You got six months to shop, by the way. Six months. So, but as this church, as true disciples of Christ, what New Year's resolution do you have? What is it that needs to be held to resolve for you this year? to further his kingdom, to his glory. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so richly blessed to gather, to fellowship, to worship, to sing hymns, to speak of your things. And I pray that hearts have been prepared. I pray that you uh, speak through me in a mighty way, that I decrease and that you increase and the purpose and your plan and your word would be carried forth to your glory and your honor. Amen. Well, A.W. Tozer called Paul the world's most successful Christian. Years ago, a large number of pastors were asked, if you were trapped on a desert island and had but one book of the Bible to spend the rest of your days with, which book would that be? And an overwhelming majority said Romans. Romans would be the book. My life was changed forever by this book. And I rarely teach without referencing it. It is so good. And Paul is so wise. And we are blessed to go through it in our fellowship group. Grace and discipleship are two silver threads that run through all of Paul's letters. Once an accomplished disciple of Gamaliel, devoted to a life of righteousness by works. Here in Romans we find a true disciple of Christ, undone by God's grace. This morning we're going to take a look at Romans 1.5. In Romans 1.5, Paul gives us four facets of a true disciple of Christ. Four facets of a true disciple of Christ. And in the past, I've spent time reading large portions of scripture, at least large for Curtis. Entire books, multiple books, reading through them. Trying to get the flow of the book, trying to see the big picture and what's going on. The overall theme that the Holy Spirit had as he carried the book's author along by the Spirit. And it's been enjoyable 
It's been fruitful, and it's been hard to do. Those things are hard to do. I see words, I see phrases, and I see doctrine, and I just want to park on it, right? My goal is I'm going to read through this book, right? And those books were written, those letters went out, Paul's letters went out, and they were read front to back before the church. And Curtis sees a word and he goes, right? And you go to the marginal reference. It's definitely easier to read through the Pentateuch, believe it or not, the major and minor prophets, as well as the Gospels, because they're stories filled with doctrine, right? You see doctrine in the stories, but they're stories. What I find hard to read straight through is the writings of the Apostle Paul, where I get distracted inside the text because Paul's writings are doctrine, right? Every word. Every word holds tremendous weight. And Romans is no exception. What, uh, what may seem to be a simple introduction in chapter 1 to the church in Rome is packed with doctrinal truths. And let's look at Romans chapter 1. If you can open up to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 to 7 here. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord. And here's our text for today. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are love, loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul introduces himself here as a servant, called, set apart, and you could park on any one of these words, right? Hit the brakes and sit there for the rest of your days. Deep doctrinal truths in the words and in the phrases. But then in, in his uh, Pauline fashion, the author stops mid-thought, changes direction, and shares the gospel. Did you see that in verses 2 through 4? Let's look at 2 through 4. Paul says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Puts that in there. Never misses a chance, does he? Never misses a chance. After declaring Jesus as Lord, Paul continues his thoughts from verse 1 as he begins in verse 5. So it really 1 and 5 would flow together. And we see what there? Through whom we have received grace. Grace. What kind of grace does Paul reference here? What kind of grace? Because there's many types of grace, facets of grace. I'm always amazed by grace. Is it common grace? Is this common grace? Is it irresistible grace? Or is he speaking of gifts of grace here? 
Well, first, what's common grace? What's common grace? Matthew 5:45b says, "For he shall make his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust." So all that is good is from God. God is always only good. His hand of grace is on all of creation, right? That's common grace. It's bestowed on everybody and everything. The wretched enjoy common grace. Adolf Hitler enjoyed common grace. Those that flew the planes into the trade center enjoyed common grace. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. All of creation enjoys common grace. Or as Paul, is the grace that Paul speaks of in verse 5 irresistible grace? Is it irresistible grace? Well, to decide, we need to know what's irresistible grace. We get a little grace lesson here, huh? What's irresistible grace? John said in John 6.37, All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Paul tells us, and we saw it in our Roman study, in 8.29 and 30, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So irresistible grace means God gave his true disciples to his son. God did that. He gave all those that would be his to his son. And it means that all that will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, he foreknew and he predestined and he called and justified and glorified. And it means all those that come to saving faith in Christ could not resist the call to faith. You couldn't resist it, right? I always think of Star Trek and the tractor beam, right? God gets us in the tractor beam and we're getting pulled in, right? Irresistible grace. So then what kind of grace is Paul referencing in verse 5? It can't be common grace because common grace isn't saving grace. Paul is a servant of Jesus Christ, we're told, uh, told here, called to be an apostle. So it's more than common grace. Verse 7 tells us, tells us his letter is to the saints in Rome. Saints are believers. All true disciples of Christ are saints. The grace Paul speaks of can be irresistible grace here, but again, he's speaking to the redeemed about the redeemed, and he tells us in verse 5, this grace and apostleship has a purpose. He tells us that it has a purpose. It says it was to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. So the grace bestowed was to be used inside the body of Christ. That's what he's saying here. The grace that was given to me as an apostle was to be used inside the body of Christ. The grace that Paul's referencing in verse 5 is known as gifts of grace in the scripture. This is a special grace that was bestowed upon Paul. The very grace that has been bestowed upon the redeemed to edify the body of Christ. And that's important. It's to edify the body of Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 15, 
15 and 16a, but on some point I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of, and he says, the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3 real quick. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 9. Paul speaks of the same grace here, these gifts of grace in Ephesians chapter 3. I cheated and wrote it in my notes so I don't have to race you guys. Paul says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to what? The gift of grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul actually gives us a list of gifts, of gifts of grace in Romans chapter 12. So now I want you to flip to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 8 to you. For, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many members, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ, what's it say? According to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in, in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. cheerfulness. So the first facet of the true disciple of Christ is true disciples of Christ bestow gifts of grace by grace. True disciples of Christ bestow gifts of grace by grace. Verse 6 in Romans 12 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. To every true disciple of Christ in this room, God has bestowed gifts of grace upon you, but they are not for your pleasure or your purpose. What I want you to understand is this. God has chosen to bestow his grace upon you, upon his bride, through you by his grace. He has bestowed you with this gift of grace for the very purpose to edify the body of Christ. And everyone born again has been gifted with a gift of grace. How unsearchable are his ways. Isn't that amazing? 
believers, true disciples of Christ, are a conduit of God's grace. God working through you to serve in his church. And what does Paul say in 12.3? For what? For by the grace given to me, I say to you. He understands. It's grace, right? Every word Paul penned in the Bible was Paul using his gift of grace. Every single word. This is the work of the true disciple of Christ. All enjoy common grace. The elect enjoy irresistible grace, but gifts of grace are different. They're received by true disciples of Christ to be bestowed upon other true disciples of Christ inside the church. That's why it was given to you. That's why it was given to me. Paul tells us in Romans 5.2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. True disciples of Christ are in a perpetual, eternal state of grace. You understand that? You are in an eternal, when you're born again, you are in in an eternal state of grace. That's amazing. Common grace, salvific grace, and gifts of grace. You enjoy them all. That's where we exist. And if we're going to make Jesus Christ known to the glory of God, if we're going to make disciples, we must use our gifts of grace. That's what Paul says. We're to use them as true disciples of Christ and edify the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I've shared this before too many times, I think, right? Too many times. You probably have it memorized. But I am a simple, uneducated elevator mechanic. And I have learning difficulties. And I have a speech impediment, which you've witnessed just a second ago. Right? I don't bring a lot to the table. Right? What's Matt say? I know elevators and Jesus. That's all I bring to the table. Right? I don't bring a lot to the table other than the gifts of grace. That's what I stand before, here, before you now with. That he has so graciously lavished upon me. So graciously. And if you ask yourself, how is this guy an elder at the church? It's by grace. It's by grace alone. It has nothing to do with me. So if I'm going to serve here at FBC, equipping people to make Jesus Christ known to the glory of God, it will be by his grace alone, through his gifts of grace. By his grace, his grace is bestowed, grace by grace. True disciples of Christ bestow gifts of grace by grace. That's what we do. So then we need to ask, what gift of grace has been bestowed upon you? Is it serving? then where are you serving? Inside the body of Christ here at FBC. And is it teaching? And how often do you serve in children's and teach in there? You speak up in those fellowship groups, men's ministry and women's ministry. Do you take those opportunities to teach? Do you help out before and after service? 
to set up and clean up. Because that's a gift of grace. It is. And what about serving in hospitality? Is your gift of grace exhortation? So then how can you encourage another if you're not plugged in? Is it generosity? If so, how's that gift been manifested in the church? And God bestows it upon you. Have been graced with zeal? If so, how can zeal be hidden? How can that be hidden? Or is it mercy? And it's not just one gift, right? He gives us with multiple gifts of grace. The Lord has amazing plans for FBC in 2024. The body here at Fellowship needs you to exercise your gifts of grace. The body needs it. It's God's plan. It's God's purpose for you. These gifts of grace did not originate with you. They are gifts of grace by grace. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1 again. And let's look at verse 5 again. We're going to read this like 15 times this morning. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. The second facet of the true disciple of Christ is true disciples of Christ are sent by grace, redeeming grace. The word apostle means one who is sent. One who is sent. The Greek word translated to Latin is where we get the word missionary. The Holy Spirit was purposeful as he carried Paul along by the Spirit when we find grace mentioned in verse 5 before we find apostleship. If grace doesn't precede apostleship and or discipleship, then the apostle and the discipleship is false. It has to be because it's by grace. In the Old Testament, the priestly line was by birth and they were to be of the tribe of Levi. Not so in the New Testament. Paul was an apostle by grace and Christ our great high priest and king. Before he met Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul described himself in Philippians 3, 5 as circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee. Paul, as a Pharisee, believed in righteousness through works of the law. You obey the law to be righteous. And actually, the Pharisees decided how to apply the law. For example, all pious Jews believed in the Sabbath rest, but what the Pharisees decided was what was considered work on the Sabbath, right? Little side note, our elevator controls have a Sabbath deal so you don't have to push the button to go to the floor, you just get in there, and it's eventually going to go, and you can get off the floor because it's work on the Sabbath to push the button, right? But what they did was they took man's law and put it on top of God's law, right? And so if they had this law, if you didn't break this one, you couldn't break this one, right? That's really what they did. Keep man from getting even close to breaking God's law. For another example, for a pious Jew, a meal prepared could only be carried one city block on the Sabbath. Make a meal, 
right? I'm going to go to Matt's house. I'm going to pick on him again. I can go one city block with that, and that's it, right? More than that is work on the Sabbath, so it can't be done. But if the person that you dined with or planning on lived two blocks away the day before the Sabbath, take it one block, leave it at a friend's house, and then you can walk that block on the Sabbath, pick it up and carry it one block. You guys can have food together, right? So crazy. Seems crazy, doesn't it? Man's law on top of God's law. But by doing this, you would not break the Pharisees' interpretation of the Sabbath law. When Paul left for Damascus, he was a disciple of the Pharisee Gamaliel. But on the road to Damascus, he became a true disciple of Jesus Christ. He would become an apostle by grace. Paul then makes this clear in Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul has gone from being a Pharisee by works to an apostle by grace. And this can't be overstated. Paul had been set free. Set free. Tells us in Romans 8.33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? No one. It can't happen. He goes on to say in 38 and 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation by works, salvation by grace, and secured in the blood of Christ. Christ. The love was poured out on Calvary and is enjoyed by grace alone through faith alone. Listen, Paul was not an apostle so as to receive salvation. He receives salvation by grace, and his gift of grace manifested itself in apostleship. He was an apostle by grace. So in a sense, don't rush the stage here. I warned Dan on this one. I'm bigger than most of you. <laughs> Every believer in this room has an apostleship. Stay in your seats. Though in reality, the apostles were eyewitnesses. They were disciples face-to-face -face with Jesus. And apostleship ended thousands of years ago with the death of the apostle John, the last to die. But the meaning of the word, you are one who is sent, right? You are sent. God is sending you out. As true disciples of Christ, we are called to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has sent us to build his church. That's why we're still here and we're not in heaven because we got work to do. Our work's not done, right? So then men, are you set apart as the spiritual leader in your homes? Sent to make Jesus Christ known to the glory of God? Do you see that? Do you understand that that's your calling? 
to bear witness to the gospel at work, at play, and inside the body of Christ. Paul ends verse 5 with, among all the nations. So does your gospel message go outside these walls? Or is it just here that you talk about Jesus? I know most of us have or have had secular jobs. What was Paul's secular job? What was he? He was a tent maker, right? But he never referenced his secular job in the Bible. Do you know that? Paul doesn't tell us that. Only Luke tells us of his trade in Acts 18. He was by grace a servant. He was a slave. And he was apostle. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. As true disciples of Christ, your created purpose is by grace alone. By grace alone. That's it. Your created purpose in this, li- this life is to be a conduit to God's gift of grace to his bride. That's your purpose in this life. Anything else is secondary. Paul said it best in Philippians 3, 8, 9, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends upon faith. False prophets, false apostles, false disciples, they have one thing in common, something that separates them from the true, and that one thing is grace. That grace redeeming grace and gifts of grace. Remember back in Matthew 10, Judas is listed as one of the disciples that were sent out by Jesus Christ and we're told in Matthew 10 to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Send his disciples out, right? Listen, nothing tells us that Judas did not perform these miracles. Nothing. He got sent out. Yet he was a false disciple of Jesus Christ. He would not be counted as one of the 12 apostles, not because he betrayed Jesus, nor because he killed himself, but because he was not a disciple by redeeming grace. You understand that? Perform miracles, cast down demons, right? Because God sent him out to do that. But it wasn't by grace, right? True apostles of Christ are apostles by grace, redeeming grace. So how is your created purpose by grace being fulfilled in your home? Is it going on in your home? If you you asked your kids or your grandkids or your wife, who's the spiritual leader in the home? What would they say? And what defines you? And how would you define yourself? Paul didn't call himself a tent maker. Ladies, look around you. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And how are you discipling the women here at FBC? And how are you discipling the women and the children in your family, in your scope of influence? Paul didn't call himself a tent maker. He was a servant, an apostle, a slave of Jesus Christ, and by grace alone, through faith alone, and that was it. 
When was the last time somebody asked you about Jesus at work? As true disciples of Christ, who you are is who you are in Christ by grace. Why don't we look at 1.5 again? Romans 1.5, we haven't read it enough times. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. The third facet of the true disciple of Christ, Paul gives us in verse 5 is, true disciples of Christ disciple obedience by grace. So this facet of a true disciple of Christ is my passion. It is my calling. Paul tells us in verse 5 that he has received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith. Paul's calling is to make true disciples of Christ. What is a disciple? The word disciple in our Bibles is translated from the Greek word that means a learner. You're a learner. I found it interesting that the word disciples is only found in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. In the first century Jewish culture, the rabbi was the teacher, right? And the disciple was the student. And not only did the student, the student follow the rabbi everywhere so closely, right? That the rabbi, or excuse me, the student would begin to think and act like the rabbi. And the rabbi would observe the student and ask, why are you asking in the, or why are you acting in this fashion? Why are you doing it this way? The way a person became a disciple was a gifted student would approach the, uh, the rabbi and ask, may I follow you? May I follow you? In effect, they were asking, do I have what it takes to be like you? The rabbi either accepted the student as his disciple or sent him away to pursue a trade. Those lowly trades. Jesus broke this pattern when he chose his own disciples. He asked his disciples, follow me, right? And because of this, they knew without a doubt their rabbi believed in him. Understand, brothers and sisters, Jesus chose you as his disciple. He chose you as his disciple. Ephesians 1.4 says, even as he chose us, in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He tells us in Philippians 1, 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to a completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now you need to realize Jesus has confidence in you because it has nothing to do with you, right? He didn't look at Curtis and say, oh boy, Here's a big, dumb guy I can use, right? He didn't say that. It's by grace. It's by grace alone. And he has placed his spirit inside you. Your discipleship is a supernatural work of God. Blessed with common grace, irresistible salvific grace, and gifts of grace. You say, but Curtis, I still had to believe. Right? I still had to believe. I agree, you did. But the very faith that you possess is a gift from God. He gave that to you too. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us that. 
and says, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Notice it doesn't say it's a gift from God, but the gift of God. He has given you himself, the indwelling Holy Spirit. I also found it interesting that rabbis had very few disciples at their feet. There's always very few at their feet, and uh, many that were at a distance that would follow his teaching. And this holds true with Jesus Christ, because he had 12 at his feet and countless others, which include all true disciples of Christ, right? Still, what hit me between the eyes and what's become crystal clear in making disciples is that we must be willing to bestow the very grace our Lord has bestowed upon us, upon other disciples. Grace is what we're all about. Years ago, James MacDonald shared John 1.14, where we're told Jesus was full of grace and truth. And what he shared was it was 100% grace and 100% truth all the time. And we know that Jesus is the fullness of all of his attributes all of the time. But he spoke only truth with all that he encountered. And as he spoke the truth, it's full of grace. It is by grace that we know the truth, is it not? Yeah. Now we seem to be either grace people, we're very gracious people, or we're truth people, right? We're going to give people the truth, right? Or it's okay, it's okay, right? And you may, be, you may see yourself as all grace at church, but are, you all, but are you all grace at home? And how about work? Are you all about truth at work and very little grace at home? But what really smacked me between the eyes is when John tells us in 1.16, for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Right? Just grace upon grace. From his fullness is 100% truth and 100% grace. What adds up is just grace upon grace. Right? Knowing the truth in God's word is grace. It is by grace that we have this. He didn't have to give us this. He's a gracious God. 1 Corinthians 1.14 says, The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So how does this relate to the obedience of faith that Paul mentioned in 1.5? Because if we're going to make true disciples of Christ, disciples not obedient because of the law, but disciples obedient, disciples obedient by grace through faith, in the finished works of Jesus Christ, we must bestow the grace we have received. We have to be just as gracious as the Lord is to us. And Paul received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith. The gifts of grace and apostleship by grace was given to bring about obedience of faith that it was received by grace alone. I'm all about preparing to serve the Lord in a manner worthy of the calling that he has given us, right? He's a holy God, he's a mighty God, and we must prepare to serve God in a way that honors the one true God. But after we prepare, right, in a manner worthy of him on Sunday, we grace each other through this, right? We grace each other through this. You guys are being very gracious with me this morning. Right? Sunday is a day of worship. 
coming together as his church, a day of worship for our pastor as well. And something that my mom told me decades ago, don't talk to the pastor about hard things on Sunday. Need prayer, you're going through something, that's fine. But if you're mad about something and you're upset about something, remember your pastor's worshiping that day too, right? And it's the Lord's day and there's another day because it's grace upon grace, right? The saying is true, we're working with humans, right? It's always gonna get a little messy, isn't it? So if you know me, and if you don't know me, I wanna get to know you. But don't mistake my joking, because I joke all the time, right? I only want the best for my Lord and Savior. But we're gracing our way through it and we're making disciples and these gifts of grace bestowed must be given and received by his disciples with grace upon grace let's be gracious brothers and sisters legalism doesn't bring about obedience of faith it is by grace alone we are gracing our way through it i began to read a book called spiritual leadership by j oswald sanders the chapter uh, the chapters finish with application questions, one which asked, who are the spiritual leaders in your life? Who are the spiritual leaders in your life? Think about that for a minute. And you may say one of your parents. You may say Pastor Dan. You may say a dear brother or sister in Christ. But if we look at Paul's words in 1.5, as we consider the gifts of grace in Romans 12, the spiritual leaders in our lives should include the true disciples of Christ in our church because we lead each other and we minister to each other and we use these gifts of grace on each other. The men and women that are sitting in this room today. Remember, there's such a great cloud of witness and old dead guys that wrote these great books hundreds of years ago, books on doctrine, and they should be required reading. Don't tell Dan that but there's no, no substitute for fellowship in his word. Absolutely no substitute. Listen, I have led men and women and discipled men and women for years, true disciples of Christ. But can I tell you something? They discipled me. They discipled me. They were my spiritual leaders. Look around at the disciples in church today. What do you do on Sunday mornings? when you actively participate in a fellowship group. Men's or women's ministry, children's ministry, serving in preparation and cleanup, hospitality. You're bringing about obedience of faith. That's what you're doing. Because it's not just cleaning up and it's not just setting up, right? It's not just showing up and have breakfast on Saturday morning with the guys. We're discipling each other. We're bringing about obedience of faith because you are disciple, you're discipling each other as you serve and as you fellowship. You say, but Curtis, I don't know the Bible like they do. A famous theologian once said, I rarely learn something from listening to a pastor preach, but I learn from newborn believers all the time. All the time. You're the greatest spiritual leaders to each other, not because of your knowledge of his word, but because of the grace his blood has afforded you gifts of grace. 
his spirit, and his word working through you. Paul was a Pharisee. He had memorized the first five books of the Bible. It is said that he had the equivalent of three doctorates by the age of 21, but he still spent three years in Arabia after meeting Christ on the road to Damascus, three years being discipled by brothers in Christ before he began to serve as an apostle. Discipleship takes time, and there's no free lunch. And if you want to be discipled and disciple, serve here at FBC. Serve here at your church. Be in a small group. Be real with your brothers and sisters in Christ and disciple with grace upon grace. True disciples of Christ, disciple obedience by grace. There's people here that need you, that need your service and you discipling. And who's your spiritual leader? We are making true disciples of Christ. Obedience of faith through grace. Fellowship Bible Church Church exists to equip people to make Jesus Christ known to the glory of God. Obedience by grace. I'm not going to read 1.5 again. We're right there. You guys know it already. You can look down. The fourth and last facet of the true disciple of Christ is true disciples of Christ glorify God by grace for the sake of his name among the nations, for the sake of his name, for his glory in all the world. One of the exciting things the Lord has set for us at FBC in 2024 is refocusing our mission statement. And it'll be very close to this. The elders are still going, (laughs) trying to decide. Fellowship Bible Church exists to equip people to make Jesus Christ known to the glory of God. It's very close and may end up with what we have. We equip true disciples of Christ to use their gifts of grace. We want to take that leap of faith and just make it a step of faith to serve for his namesake, to his glory. So what is the chief end of man? What is it? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We got one quick flip because Peter and Paul got along other than maybe one argument, didn't they? One argument. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. See if they agreed on these gifts of grace. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8. Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received, what? A gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's, what? Varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, and in order that in everything, what God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong, glo- belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Is God glorified through everything? That's the goal. Everything that we do here. Because Christ's disciples exercise exercise gifts of grace. 
you were redeemed for his glory, for the sake of his name among the nations. The nations can be translated as Gentiles. The unchurched, right? These gifts of grace used as we disciple each other declares to the unredeemed we are disciples of a gracious Redeemer to the glory of God the Father. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without grace, it's just a work of the flesh. Without grace, we glorify ourselves. True disciples of Christ glorify God by grace, all for his glory. That's why when someone asks you, or excuse me, that's why when someone, when they thank you for bestowing those gifts of grace, the appropriate response is, to God be the glory. Amen? Paul tells us in Romans eleven twenty nine, for the gifts and the calling of the Lord are irrevocable. They're yours, right? They're yours and you can't get rid of it. He has bestowed irrevocable gifts of grace. This year, church, resolve to serve the risen Savior. Shall we do that? We should do that with the gifts of grace that he's bestowed. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, our God, I thank you so much for uh, a wonderful passage, your word, the truths in your word, Lord. And I pray that uh, we would work and find ourselves on our knees and discover the gifts of grace that you have so richly bestowed upon us and that we would minister to each other, to your glory and your honor and that your word would go out from this little church and your kingdom would be furthered. And we hold this up to you and we thank you and we praise you in your son's name, amen.